Well, we're looking at uh, Ezekiel chapter 18. Do we have, um, does anybody want to tell me what the page number is in the um, Pew Bible? So if you open up your Bible during Psalms, like if you open it up halfway, and then you just need to start flipping to the right to get to Ezekiel. 705. 705. So it's Ezekiel chapter 18. Page 705, that's 705 in the Pew Bible. So Ezekiel chapter 18. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of menstrual impurity, does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor of his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, does not lend an interest or take any profit, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and man, walks in my statutes and keeps my rules by acting faithfully. He is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord God. If, a, if he fathers a son who is violent to shed her blood, who does any of these things, though he himself does none of these things, who even eats upon the mountain, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore the pledge, lifts up his eyes to the idols, commits abomination, lends it interest and takes profit. Shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. Now suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that the, his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife, does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment, withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest or profit, obeys my rules and walks in my statutes. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. And the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he's committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he's committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, for the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn away should turn from his way and live. But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered. For the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed for them, he shall die. Yet you say, 
The way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel. Is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Happy Rosh Hashanah, by the way. <laughs> Y'all know what that is? The Jewish New Year. This begins today. Uh, it begins right now. So as the sun goes down, the Jewish New Year begins and it culminates next weekend with uh, uh, Yom Kippur, which is a Jewish Day of Atonement. And so it's a great opportunity to focus our minds to pray for Israel and their atonement and we know that only comes through uh, the work of Christ and so uh, I'm not I'm not a big keeper of calendars but you know sometimes when we pay attention to the culture of different cultures we we um, we um, I think are, it helps us in our prayers this uh, chapter is not as difficult as um, the one we read last Sunday night, but nonetheless, it is a, a difficult chapter. It uh, does uh, talk about the Levitical purity laws, and it does uh, mention some things that uh, seem strange. I was struck uh, when reading it and preparing for this message that this is, that refers back, I think it's Leviticus, um, is it five? I'm, I can't even remember the exact reference. Uh, uh, where the purity laws are, are very explicit in terms of uh, coming to worship. That was the chapter my friend refused to read <laughs> in Providence. <laughs> yeah. He uh, ended a under church tradition of reading through the scriptures. Um, uh, and, and there are some difficult things. Um, if you read commentaries on these passages, uh, you, you uh, see things put in the marginal notes. You think, is that is that in the Bible? And uh, you don't often see them brought forward. But it's important, I believe, in our culture, our present culture, where there is so much raunchiness and and uh, things that are contrary to the intention of Scripture. To realize that the Bible is a very real book. It, it it does. It's not a Pollyanna book. It's not. High in the sky by and by when you die. It deals with very uh, real um, uh, issues and addresses them. And uh, so it's our responsibility to seek 
by God's grace, to build a bridge from that culture, that time, that place, to the present. And this chapter takes a turn. Most of the, most of the admonitions have been to the land, the people of, of Israel and the land. Uh, but note that the, this chapter turns to the individual in the land, uh, the individual person uh, before God and his responsibility. It's about, it has been, the focus of Ezekiel's message has been um, the collective responsibility of the people of God uh, and the coming judgment for their collective rebellion. Uh, this focuses on uh, individuals, um, those um, who um, would approach God are, are those who are in rebellion against God. And, and um, what it means to examine yourselves, which is always an appropriate uh, thing. That's what we should be involved in daily. It should be our daily practice of self-examination and measuring everything we do, everything we say, against what God wants for us. Simplify it. 2 Corinthians 5.10, the, the gospel um, simplifies it. For us, the Apostle Paul gives us the reason. Second Corinthians five ten, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Each one. Note the individuality of that text. And so, this is a very New Testament application uh, that comes to us from Ezekiel. And the first point is simply, if you, oh, we don't have a screen. So, um, the first point is, if you don't have a bulletin, is individually we are accountable to God uh, for our actions. And... To illustrate his point, Ezekiel uses a common phrase from the vernacular of Israel in that day. It sounds rather strange to our ear, so we have to think about it a little bit. What does this mean? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. It doesn't just roll off our tongue, does it? If we think about it, it's really simple. The proverb was, if, you, if, the, if the father eats a sour grape, and I'm, I'm assuming this is a green grape, not a ripened grape, because ripened grapes are raisins, right? So this is probably a green grape, and if you've ever plucked a green grape, like I have, and tried to eat it, it, it tastes awful. And it's, um, and it's um, got a very bitter taste. And the proverb was, when the father eats a bitter grape, uh, meaning the judgment of God, the child tastes it. Now that's a, that seems um, absurd on its surface, but uh, it means uh, it, it's it's a it's meaning to draw on the preamble of um, 
the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, where God promises that the sins of the father will be visited upon uh, the children. And so the people who were quoting this proverb thought they were engaging in some kind of spiritual pietism, when the reality is they were twisting the word of God. It also appears in the book of Jeremiah and also uh, his his book of Lamentations. It was, so it was a common thing that had sunk into the consciousness of the people. And I, I tried to think of something similar. And the, this may not be the best uh, best one, but it, it is one. that uh, a, 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 a common saying that has crept into the theological landscape. And the one that I thought of um, is um, uh, God helps those who help themselves. And, that, and a lot of people think that's a verse from the Bible. Um, it actually originally comes from Aesop's fables, and it, uh, it's the, the gods help those who help themselves in Aesop's uh, fables. Um, and it, it sounds uh, very pious, <clears throat> I'm a Civil War buff, I used to be more than I am now, but one of my favorite uh, episodes of Civil War history was the, the Confederate ship Alabama. Some of you know the story of it and how it uh, kept the Union forces at bay at sea with this, this little ship that went all over and they finally caught it off the coast of uh, France and sunk it. And, and uh, its motto though, it was famous in all the newspapers, it had emblazoned on the stern uh, God helps those who help themselves and so every time I hear somebody say that I think of the, the Confederate ship out and I'm sinking <laughs> <laughs> uh, they didn't help them that day <laughs> um, and Ezekiel says the same thing he says no this is not this is not true you're not, going to, you're not going to suffer because of what your fathers have done. You're going to suffer individually because of what you have done. You're going to be examined in judgment because of what you have done. Uh, the point is, we can't say, uh, again, another, another uh, cultural saying, that the devil made me do it. We, we can't say that it's, it's because I had uh, parents that abused me or I had a bad childhood or I had a difficulty happen in my life. No, you are individually responsible before God for your actions. In a world of sinful rebellion that is, is completely, uh, is, is completely, the more we see daily reports of the things in the culture and how, how cities and places are, are becoming completely lawless and completely out of control. We've been spared much of that in our, in our area, but it's uh, hard to see how that's going to continue to be the case. Um, in that kind of world, we cannot say it's Someone else made me do something wrong or against God. We are individually accountable. And the only escape is, is mentioned in the next section, six, verses 6 through 9. The only escape is righteousness. 
uh, five, five through nine rather, is righteousness. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains, that means if he doesn't go up to worship in the, the false places where the idols are set up, or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, or, or commit adultery, or do any of these things that are ritually and personally unclean, uh, he shall surely live, declares the Lord. Uh, it's, it's one of the most important words in the Bible, righteousness. Sadiq in Hebrew, it is, um, the, the intention is uh, that a person will live righteously. And then the, the sin of the day, which is the sin of all of us, it is uh, idolatry and turning from idolatry and all the things that go with idolatry uh, to righteousness. And the only way to escape the idolatry of the world is to possess Christ's righteousness. Um, righteousness comes first. And, and no, there's a very New Testament order here. The righteousness comes first and righteous action follows. Um, not committing adultery, uh, keeping the laws of marital purity, doing justice, forgiving debts, and, uh, not mistreating anyone, feeding the hungry, doing the things uh, that God calls us to do in terms of good works. The righteousness of God in these works follow having his righteousness. The order is essential. Righteousness comes from our faith and trust in Him and what He's done for us. And right action follows that. He goes on, verses 10 through 13. Um, if He follows a son who is violent, if the son is a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, though He Himself, meaning the Father, has not done any of these things, uh, who even eats upon the mountains and, and commits adultery, oppresses the poor, lifts up his eye, and, and repeats the same set of sins, um, he will not live. He will, he will be judged. To me, there's a, this, this uh, passage uh, is very repetitive and it's very redundant and it goes on and on. Uh, in terms of listing these things uh, redundantly uh, because that's how we learn. You know, we learn by repetition. But the New Testament makes clear what, what can um, sometimes be obscured. I, I, I think Ezekiel is teaching in a very rabbinic way. If you're familiar with the Jewish rabbis, this is the way they teach. Uh, it's very, there's a very rabbinic ring to how he is laying these things out. Um, that's why Jesus was the master teacher. He just cut through, cut through all that and got to the point rather quickly. And uh, Matthew 7, verses, uh, uh, I'm going to read, I'm going to read a, a long section. One defiles a person individually. Matthew 7, verse 14. The Lord Jesus called the people to him and said to them, 
Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. Or from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile. The person. Um, individually, we must deal with sin that is not in accordance with righteousness. That's why we have the frequent observance of the Lord's Supper and the frequent reminder that we are to examine ourselves. Why are we to examine ourselves? First Corinthians um, ten is very, very, or eleven is very clear that we are to examine ourselves so that we do not eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. Um, and that's the message uh, from from Ezekiel uh, eighteen. Verses 14 through 18, he continues. Um, the father, now suppose a man follows a son and sees all the sins that his father's done, he sees and does not do likewise. He, he, he um, doesn't do the things that uh, his father does. Um, but his father continues in them. Again, the message is, regardless of who does it, they will be individually accountable uh, to God. Both the Father and the Son will die for their unbelief and their wickedness. A, a son will live because of his own righteousness that he possesses by faith. Uh, he will demonstrate that faith because he doesn't engage in idolatry or false worship. He doesn't engage in sexual immorality or any form of impurity um, that he will uh, not worship in false uh, places that are not authorized. He will, he will uh, uh, seek to be uh, with the people of God and, and worship accordingly. Um, it's, it's so important for us to, to recognize the importance of what we do in worship, individ, uh, both in, collectively and as individuals. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're glad for the live stream for what it is. It offers a, a vehicle when someone is sick or shut in or has difficulty coming, um, uh, and, and it's a great blessing. We've heard that over and over for people who participate. But there's no substitute for being in the presence with God's people of the word read and expounded in the sacrament served. This is how God has told us.
to worship. This is what we refer to as the ordinary means of grace. This is the ordinary way that God grows up his people. That's why we seek to follow uh, what the scriptures command us to follow in that regard. Again, there's this redundancy that bears repeating. And it's repeated again in verses 19 through 25. Each one will face the judgment seat of God. We will all individually stand before God and be judged on the last day uh, according uh, to our works. Wait a minute, I thought salvation was by grace alone through faith. And that's true. It absolutely is. But we are, and we often stop reading Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, uh, at verse 10. For we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that God ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, it is by grace, but the result of grace is always a life that seeks to please God. What makes a difference in in uh, in the, between the righteous son or the righteous father versus the wicked son or the wicked father? I would suggest to you from the passage that the only thing that is different is the possession of righteousness to begin with, and then the result of that possession of righteousness we know from reading the New Testament is looking forward to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Um, I believe next Sunday evening begins Rosh, uh, begins Yom Kippur, which is the culmination of the Jewish New Year, the Day of Atonement. And if, if I'm wrong on that, I will be corrected, I'm sure. So, but I think that's right. We celebrate the Day of Atonement every time we worship. We celebrate the, the victory of Christ over sin and death individually and collectively every time we come to the Lord's table, every time we hear uh, the gospel. The gospel is not about doing, although there's a lot about doing in this passage and there's a lot about doing in the whole Bible. In every case, including this rather difficult extended passage, it, it begins with what God has done. It is God alone who gives the gift of righteousness through faith to his people. Uh, the only basis of our relationship with him is that righteousness that he gives to us. And the Lord pleads. He pleads. He tells, he tells the people, I have no pleasure, I take no pleasure in the administration of my absolute justice. Now how is that? You know, you, that is a difficult, this, these are some difficult texts here. Uh, how, do we, how do we reconcile that with God as sovereign in salvation? Uh, why, why, why does he not, uh, I mean, it's very clear that uh, he ordained some to salvation and some to uh, e eternal judgment. And, and the, the difference is between his revealed will 
and his decretive will. And, and that is, uh, again, it's a theological category. It's not one that you readily find from the Bible, but it's by good and necessary inference from the Bible because the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Some theologians call it his consequent will versus his antecedent will, that, that he has determined the number of his people from the foundation of the world. And, and, but at the same time, there is a very real offer of the gospel to everyone. Um, I, can, I can't reconcile those things because, because I'm insufficient to. Jay, Jay probably could. He could probably reconcile those two things, right? He's nodding and he can't. What's that? I was shaking my head now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I know you were. I, I, I got that. <laughs> because they're true. We, we claim those two truths together because they're true. Because the Bible says they're true. Uh, can, we, can we explain them? No. Uh, we, but we know they're true because <laughs> God uh, has said they're true. What we can say clearly, though, is that God is more pleased when his mercy is glorified in the gospel than when his justice is glorified in the destruction of the wicked. God has chosen to glorify himself by saving sinners who deserve damnation. That is the great good news that we possess. This passage closes finally in verses 26 through 31 with the danger of apostasy. Apostasy is a theological word that means falling away. This is what happened to Israel in the Old Testament. They fell away from their uh, relationship with the living God. And because they fell away and disobeyed, they were overrun by Assyria and then Babylon and then Persia and then the Greeks and then the Romans. And ultimately, the nation of Israel was swept away uh, for generations until 1948. And there's a gathering of the people in the land again which we are, are, are we, we want we marvel at God's providence in bringing all those things about so on the eve in which we remember um, uh, the day of atonement and the sacrifice for the sins of the people that was represented in the temple uh, let us look to him and repent ourselves there have been great falling aways, not only among the people of Israel, but there have been great falling aways in the people of God. In the church today, we're experiencing another great falling away. Uh, the faithful uh, uh, are fewer and fewer. Uh, if you believe the statistical reports, and uh, I have no reason not to believe them because I see the evidence all around us that this is so. So what is, the, what is the solution? God makes it very clear. It's repentance. 
verse 28, because he has considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live and not die. There are some who attribute injustice to God today as they did then. Look at this. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, it's not my ways that are just, it's yours. Therefore I will judge you, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from your transgressions. In the Hebrew, that's turn and turn. Turn and turn. Turn away from your sin. Lest your iniquity be your ruin. We are seeing it all around us. How wickedness ruins lives, destroys lives. The Lord God, through his prophet, begs Israel to repent. Cast away all the transgressions you've committed. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why? Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for getting us here tonight safely, gathering us under the reading of your word, its exposition, blot out anything that was wrong in its exposition, help us to take the essence of its application into our hearts and minds, especially if anyone is here who's yet to understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and what Christ has done, and a righteous life results from that alone. Pray for that truth to be instilled in our minds and hearts in such a way that it transforms all of our existence. And that it begins a gospel movement here and that spreads around the world. And thank you for your faithful people that meet everywhere tonight to proclaim this truth. Fathers, we come to communion. May, may we be mindful of our communion with the saints in heaven as well as on earth and every, everywhere your people meet. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.